Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. My name is Steph, and joining me are Gareth and Milo. Hi, chaps. Amidst waves of a thunderously chaotic vintage and howling winds, the likes of which would silence and deafen the cries of a thousand howling banshees, we will be attempting to steady ourselves on this wooden battleship, defiantly cresting those aforementioned torrid and turbulent waves of discontent to take a studious and rational look, look back at what happened earlier inside that citadel of raw filth, the Death Star, between those horrific, despicable Woolwich invaders and our own valiant, yet beleaguered and bedraggled Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. That's my way of saying we're going to dispense with our topic this week, our topic subject. We're going to whisk through the week that was, and we're going to get to the main, the main event very, very fast. That was an excellent Kenneth Branner impersonation to start the episode <laughs> with, Steph. That was really good. Thank you so much. I'm glad that you recognised it. Anyway, <laughs> yes, uh, my Brian Blessed will come out another day. I'm going to save that one for another time. Uh, anyway, well, yes, as you can tell, uh, we're going to do our best to uh, dissect what happened earlier today at the Death Star, uh, a 3-1 defeat to Arsenal. Um, you know, we're upset. We're all upset. Let's not make any bones about that and there will not be excuses made but we are going to try and find reasons why uh that's something we strive to do on this pod and we're not going to dump it this week just because of the results earlier today at the death star we'll warm up with our traditional icebreaker question first lads and just to get into it what non-football podcast have you enjoyed listening to recently or that you would recommend for regular listening? Uh, Milo, why don't you go first? There's a few. I, I listen to quite a lot of podcasts. There's quite a few that um, that I've liked or like uh, recently. BBC did one called Fight, Fight of the Century, which um, was about the build-up to the Ali Frazier fight in 71. And it um, starts off in uh, 67 when uh, Ali refused to draft and kind of goes through all that period up to the fight. And it's as much about the kind of civil rights movement in, in America in the late 60s and early 70s as it is, and, you know, kind of racial politics as it is about the fight itself. It's really interesting. It's presented by Nas and uh, it's kind of docudrama. So there's kind of reenactments of parts of it, but it's, it's really good, really uh, well done. Um, and the soundtrack's fantastic. The other two I was going to mention just briefly uh, is a podcast called Power Corrupts, which is hosted by Dr. Brian Class, who is a political scientist and columnist for the Washington Post. And it kind of talks about, um, well, their blurb says it, it, it's about the hidden and uh, often nefarious forces that shape our world. But um, it covers things like um, kind of narco politics, uh, pandemic, pandemics, fake news, what have you. It's really good, really interesting. And the last one is, which is a bit lighter, um, I was going to recommend is Brain Cigar, which is by Peter Bainham, who wrote I'm Alan Partridge and Day to Day and Steph's favourite Grimsby, um, and Jeremy Simmons, who writes for Nevermind the Buzzcocks. And it's very, very much like some of the um, Chris Morris stuff. So very much like um, Blue Jam or Day to Day and stuff like that. It's really good. It's funny. And rips the piss out of kind of the podcast format. So um, it's good. Gareth? Good. I, the one that I keep meaning to listen to is You're Dead to Me, which I've heard of in heard great. in dispatches. And uh, Greg Jenner's a Spurs fan as well, I think. Mm. Um, there's also one I like called UK True Crime, which is a weekly podcast that focuses on a, well, as you imagine, a crime. But the one that I, I really like, my guilty pleasure, it, I mean, nominally it is a football podcast, but it's called Top Flight Time Machine. And mm. it's very, very silly. Um, so I think very much your cup of tea, Steph. And and um, it's, it yeah. I mean, it's, it's two it's two middle aged men 
being prats really and talking about their own experiences of being <laughs> being prats so it's um it's, I, it's excellent i now I, I now understand that what you said might not necessarily have been a compliment <laughs> <laughs> no I, no i'm just remembering your answer a couple of weeks ago steph about if you're invisible you'd want to fart <laughs> In front of everyone, so it's, it's, it's very much akin to that. Yeah, it's it's Sam Delaney who is Andy Dawson who does uh, Atletico Mints. That's it. Yeah, so it's it's him and Sam Delaney who is the younger brother Theo Delaney of, mm. of Spurs um, podcasting royalty as well. Uh, they're a really good combination. So yeah, definitely recommend. I, I say recommend it. I don't know whether you need to, to listen to them from the start, or if you listen to it, you might need to give it a few weeks just to get into their into their sense of humour and some of their stories. But it's on my weekly pod list anyway. Okay, I'll keep it brief. Uh, I really have always enjoyed um, the uh, Mayo and Kermode uh, film podcast. I think it's great. I love their film show. I think they do a fantastic job, and I really enjoy Mark Kermode's uh, passionate film commentary. I did actually start diving into the lock. Jeremy Paxman, uh, which was somewhat uh, interesting, where he takes on you know a, a wide range of subjects and sort of gives them the Paxman treatment. But uh, I must admit, it's a toe in the water, and I think I'll probably check out a few more quite interesting. But I am also, for my last choice, uh, going to sadly completely rip up the format of the question and say I, I, I've listened religiously to every Peter Crouch podcast. Um, I don't know if it counts as a football podcast or not. I don't really care. I think it's incredibly entertaining. So whether it fits our question or not, sorry, lads, that's no. the best I can do. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, we'll dip into the week that was very briefly. I'm uh, just going to monologue it for a second, boys. So... um you can just sit and nod politely. Uh, safe Standing, the Sports Ground Safety Association announced on Wednesday that a pilot of Safe Standing in the Premier League and Championship will begin in January. Clubs have until October 6th to submit an application, and if approved, they'll be able to offer licensed standing areas from the 1st of January 2022. Um, so anyway, yeah, good news. Uh, you know, you'll be able to stand again. Hooray. There was also a large boxing match that happened at the new Y Hart Lane as Anthony Joshua fought Alexander Usak for the WBA Super, IBF, WBO and IBO heavyweight titles. Usak won comfortably and the stadium did indeed look wonderful, as the notes say. Let's hope that it brought in plenty of money for Paratici to spend in January. I'm not sure. Yeah, OK, well, maybe. Let's hope it did, I suppose. I don't know what he's going to spend it on. That's a whole other uh, topic of conversation. But anyway, the stadium did look wonderful. And I think we all thought uh, that coming into this afternoon, we were on the verge of what would be uh, a season-shifting, season-defining game. I think we felt very positive. We had what looked like a nearly fully fit squad. We were only missing a couple of players uh, going into this, and they trained together for most of the week. Well, they trained together for the whole week. So, you know, Let's talk about what we thought of the lineup uh, when it was announced. And Gareth, uh, what were your thoughts? I think I was surprised that Romero didn't play because I think I, th- I thought he would have come in. I understood that why Tanganga would have played at right back ahead of ahead of Emerson. Uh, yeah, I looked at the team and it felt like it was probably the best parts of the team that had played well against Chelsea last week and had done well at Wolverhampton. So I didn't really have any issues with the with, with the starting eleven. Um, I'm not sure there's too much that I would have changed apart from what we now know in in hindsight. So yeah, for, look from a, from a starting eleven, I, I went into it thinking there was a chance that we'd get something there today. Yeah, and uh, Milo, how how are you feeling about the selection? I'd, I'd agree with that. I was surprised that Romero was left out. Pretty uh, apart from that, it was pretty much exactly as I expected. I, I, like you said, Steph, I thought kind of in the lead up to the game, um, the selection would be really interesting today, and it would give us a hint as to where Nuno was going with the side. Because as you said, it's the first time 
that he's had a nearly fully fit squad. It's only Bergwin and Cessnion who are out, and realistically, Bergwin's the only one of those two who would have featured today or had a chance of featuring today. So we're only really one player out. And in a in a perverse way, that's what happened. But it's the it's the players who didn't start who strengthened their position in the starting lineup rather than the ones who did. Yeah. So yeah, I think we have come away from this with a clear indication of uh, where we're heading. Uh, not that way. Yeah, and I mean, I'm gonna. I, I've... In all fairness, we joked about this off off pod, but I am going to quote you something that you said to us actually. Um, at the, well, I'm giving you full credit for it because it was an excellent uh, it was an excellent <laughs> statement. Um, you did say that you felt it was, and I and it was perfectly distilled the match for me. It was a a bad plan, poorly executed, and I think in order to focus on the truth of that statement, I'd like to ask uh, what we all thought of the midfield. We had a midfield today that, on paper, uh, in the four three three, should have been. Uh, uh, wonderfully creative. I mean, you've got you've got um, you know you've got Tangai pushing. You've got uh, you know Delhi can Delhi can do some stuff, albeit he's not known as a especially creative creative player. But you know, up and down into the box, you'd have felt that there was some energy coming there. And you know, we look at Hoybier to be you know the the solid the solid player in that. Instead, what we got was Pierre looking like he completely lost his compass, and uh, in my opinion, uh, being a major part of the second goal concession. And we had uh, two players in Tangai and Delhi who really did not perform. Why do we think that was? Because of the tactics. Last weekend, I was quite positive, despite the poor result, in that we saw a game plan in the first half or certainly the first thirty minutes that worked pretty well, and you could see a direction forwards. Similarly on Wolves, and we'll get to Wolves later on, but similarly against Wolves, I thought the positives from Wolves uh, showed what we were trying to do. And he didn't do that today. He tried to sit off Arsenal and uh, keep the game tight. But a selection that didn't really make any sense with those tactics, there's not really much point in picking Ballet if that's your game plan. And it looked like a very, very rigid setup to me that meant that the more creative players in midfield didn't really get a chance to um, to express themselves or, um, or, or, or do much or play to their strengths. And I think that's probably why you saw them drop quite, you know, the, the spirits drop so quite, quite so early because I think they realised they were on a hiding to nothing. Yeah, I mean, hard to disagree with that. The, I mean, the, the, the beauty of the win against the, the tactics we had for Manchester City mm. at the start of the season was that playing in that 4-3-3 shape, we controlled the central strand of the pitch so from sort of penalty, the width of the penalty area yeah. across, we were in control of that and we plugged all the holes that could live there, but seeded possession out wide. So it seemed today that, you know, Arsenal didn't even need to go wide because they managed to pick holes through us centrally. Mm. Um, and you know, perhaps looking at the three players, that they, they just weren't in the right line. It's in, again in hindsight, and I say this as someone who said I was sort of reasonably confident when I saw the starting 11, it just wasn't a midfield three that complemented each other for the task that they had today. Yeah, I mean, I think those problems started with the front line because what we were trying to do was close down the uh, passing channels uh, for Arsenal. And what Arsenal did was play very, very straight and they bypassed um, the midfields. They played right the way through our forwards and our midfield. And then their front four are, are quick. Our defence was pushing up quite high. Suddenly that they were turning tails and they were running back against um, you know, a fast attack who were quite you know, mobile and were moving around. And we really struggled with it. So the tactics that Nuno set us up for... Arsenal bypassed with one ball frequently in the first half and Nuno was really, really slow to react. So I think that was the problem today. I mean, do we also think that Pierre suffered somewhat for being the player who's been deployed on on the right of that three for a few games and suddenly was 
placed in, you know, having to sort of be, I just seemed to be playing in such an undisciplined fashion. And I was trying to imagine Skip in that position. And I don't think there would have been yeah. that lack of discipline. And I, I feel that maybe he's been, you know, he, I don't know, did he forget? I, you don't forget, but. I think you're right in terms of Skip. So if you take Skip's performance against Wolves, where he was excellent, and put him into the base of that midfield today from the start, then I think you're going to get a bit more snap and a bit more, a bit more bite. You're not going to get the players, the balls go, you get getting past him quite so quite so easily. I think with Hoybier, you have to remember he he played a lot of football last year. He, he effectively played two full seasons, the number of games he played, and then he's gone to the Euros and yeah. um, the emotional impact that the Euros must have had on him. You know, he saw a teammate have a heart attack on the pitch, and all of those Danish players pulled themselves, you know, pulled, you know, pulled together and went deep into the tournament with Hoybier playing a different role as a result of that and being one of the leaders in that side. And it, it must have it must have been very, very difficult for all of that team to cope with that. So, and this is, you know, it's complete speculation on my part, but he, he's had, he had a tough season for us last year and then a really tough summer. And, you know, maybe it's just taking its toll on him. I think so, yeah. I mean, he's, I would say his performances regressed throughout the second half of last season, and that's probably exactly why. Um, yeah. But I, I'm still not entirely sure what we've got as a midfielder. I didn't pay too much attention to him when he played at Southampton. Certainly haven't for the for the Danish national side. But last year he played as that more holding, mm-hmm. combative midfielder, and I'm not sure that's ever quite his his game. I think he's better when he's allowed to go and press higher up the field. And if he's got to skip alongside him. I mean, I think that's what he did really well in the first three games of the season. But so you, you, you're switching the role and you're asking him to do different things. And it, it just, the whole midfield shape just seemed completely discombobulated today. We've spoken about what we did without the ball. I mean, with the ball, I mean, Gary Neville picked this up in commentary before Arsenal scored the first goal. Every time we had the ball at the back, we were just bypassing the midfield. So, mm. so you think if you've got Ndombele in the team, he's completely superfluous to that system unless you're going to try and play through him. So both with and without the ball, the, the, it just made no sense as the game panned out. And that's where we got, that's how we got canned. Yeah, I mean, this is a major problem, I think, is that that, that midfield in the first half just looked completely at odds with what the game plan was. And uh, subsequently, the spirit uh, that I would have looked for in any game, this, uh, particularly North London derby, seemed to, to, to dissipate very quickly. I do want to pick up on that topic for a moment. Once again, we've gone to the Death Star. And we've seen their midfield snap, 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 complain for everything, badger the ref, make everything they can of any contact and really look for stuff and really be what I would consider, you know, aggressive and lively around the referee. And we have simply not done that. And uh, we've looked like uh, we were floating around in the first half, like we looked like we were playing in a testimonial. Uh, Hmm. Why do we think that is? What, what, What causes that? I suppose lack of passion. I mean, it can't be a lack of passion, but that sort of bewildering lack of energy, which is infuriating at the very least, even if your system is, is absolutely all over the place and not working, you would expect some, some, some effort and you'd expect some shouting and some challenges. I, I mean, I hate to sound like, oh, you know, I hate to sound like man in a van football geezer, but at the very least, you would like to see some of that. Am I wrong? Mm. Well, I'm not wrong at all. I'll give the case if you disagree, but I'd like to know why you think that was. 
Yeah, no, you're looking for that passion, P-A-S-H-U-N, didn't you? And only really it looked like we had that when Benoli Skip came on at half time. But I've, you, I mean, you alluded there. So, I mean, I've been following Spurs for the you know, best part of 30 years. And this fixture has always it's been an absolute graveyard for Spurs teams in that period. It's, it's I say it's the, my least favourite two hours of the year is when we play the North London derby, particularly away from home. So I can accept that we're going to go there. And we're going to lose. And do you know what? There's been some really good Spurs teams that have gone there and lost just as tamely. So you think the team that under Harry Redknapp that lost 3-0 there when they scored twice in about 15 seconds, when we got beat there 5-2 in the Mind the Gap game. I mean, even under Poch, we lost there 2-0 on a Saturday lunchtime game um, when we, we just didn't turn up. They scored twice just before half time that day. So... I think perhaps in the wider context, it's just a fixture for whatever reason, no matter what shape we play, whoever the personnel, whoever the manager is, that <laughs> they treat it as, I guess, proverbially West Ham always used to treat it as a cup final. It's perhaps more of a cup final for them. I mean, I've kept off social media, but I'm guessing there's players and ex-players waving flags out of car windows and hooting horns down Holloway Road this evening. It, it means a lot to them. In fairness, we would be as well if we'd done this to them today. I would be. I was just thinking and saying on your um on your passion point Steph, around kind of the bite and what have you and we we just spoke about hope yeah but the, the comparison that or the thing that occurred to me during the game was in the um friendly we had back in August when uh, him and Arteta had their confrontation he he looked more up for that game then than he did today in fact the whole team did and yeah, yeah odd odd one yellow card today that was for, for Oliver Skiff in the second half. Mm. Why is this the case? Do we think there's something systemic in this? Or do we think we've got a few that are just floating around picking up a wage packet? Uh, do we think that uh, the players are confused as to what they're meant to be doing? And when it doesn't happen, they're unhappy? Do we think that the players uh, have 100% faith that the club knows where it's going? Uh, does that Could there be some indecision from... You know, the club's focus bleeding into their performances. Is that, I mean, is that even applicable in a North London derby? It's 90 fucking minutes. Get out there and show something. I mean, there's, there's plenty of things at the club, kind of wider in the club, that um, we're not doing well or have gone wrong or what have you over the last few years. But if we're just talking about this performance, then I think it sits squarely at the manager's door. And I think Nuno appeared to accept as much afterwards after the game he said uh, we're not good enough and Arsenal did, uh, did a good game it's always hard when you concede early in a game and we were not able to control the match we didn't start well and the first half was very bad against Chelsea we played well in the first half but but today um, was the other way around we were not able to execute it the game plan in the right way he went on to say he said the performance was not good the game plan was not good the decisions were not good so it was not a good day for us and definitely not a good day he appears to accept that he got it wrong and that he couldn't get his ideas across to the players or he didn't pick the right players to execute the plan, which is kind of what we were saying earlier on. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I just can't get away from there are many times that we could have sat recording a pod after a defeat at Arsenal and we could have blamed it on the same things around lack of passion, not being up for it, um, not being quick enough to anything. So it's happened. The the, the problem is um, that you have to look at the slightly wider context of what's been happening in the last few weeks. But I mean, Milo, yeah, the, the comments you just 
you just provided there that um, Nuno gave earlier that when they're quite damning in themselves and fair play to him for holding his holding his hands up for it but yeah something something happens to our teams when they set out and they set foot on the pitch at, at the Emirates or even Highbury before that something happens it's not the first time it's happened it's fortunately not going to be the last time it happens doesn't mean that they're better than us I'm going to throw this at you it's not in our notes it's something that uh, I think is an important point to discuss however Do we feel that there is a moment coming where the senior players have to visibly show that they are behind this manager? Do we feel that right now the senior players are hedging their bets to see what happens with this manager? Do we feel this manager has the support of the dressing room in its entirety? I think we're obviously working off a fairly small sample size at the moment and of course the players are as well. Uh, I think generally players are quite fickle. I think if they see a reason they can possibly down tools, then they then then they will do. It's hard. I mean, all the all the credit that was gained from that win against Man City seems to be dissipating quite quickly, doesn't it? And you think mm-hmm. we probably need to go and get a really big result and a really big performance somewhere just to buy in some some confidence I mean look the problem that he's got at the moment this would be the problem that any manager who took over at Spurs this year would have had is that he's learning on the job so he doesn't have a clear week to prepare a team on a training ground every almost every training session is either recovery from the game just played or it's the immediate preparation and probably some fairly nuanced tactics and thoughts Mm. for the game that's for for the game that's coming up so it's going to need it's going to need a big result, and it's going to probably going to need a sustained run of results and big results to really get the players on side. I think, and indeed the fans as well. I, I think he said as much at one of the press conferences earlier in the week. When he, I think he said he was using the games as training sessions. So I think he was referring to trying to get Kane and and Dembele and you know possibly others fit. But I mean the problem is is that uh, you know we've got Mura um, midweek in the conference, which if we win that, no one's going to take any notice of it. It doesn't really change the momentum or anything it's a game that everyone's going to expect us to win there's potentially no positives from that only negatives if we put in a poor performance again and then next weekend we've got Villa who are better than Arsenal yeah I mean I I agreed and I think I mean let me be very clear on um, for anyone listening I personally have a lot of sympathy for Nuno he was not our first choice by a long shot he will have known that Mm -hmm. he has had to maintain a sense of dignity and decorum through some very difficult times including the Kane situation and so on and so forth and uh, I personally just think that a couple of these players could could really do with standing up and 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 saying we need to do better I mean where is our personally for me and again react off this and it's not in our notes why is our club captain not coming out and saying I personally think this was uh, uh, we you know we were terrible and we need to we need to do better you know the manager is working hard we need to work hard say something publicly to support I mean I know that for some people that sort of stuff is powder puff Um, I think it's very important and as for as for Harry unfortunately I just don't trust him anymore and I hate to say that I don't I don't trust I don't trust uh, where his head is at every time he comes onto Mm. the pitch I'm sure that he is doing his best but I, I would love to see a gesture for the manager of support. And the longer we don't see one, I feel it's an issue. Am I over Am I over-exaggerating the importance of those sorts of messages or not? Um, possibly. I mean, I, I think our players are, um, I risk of sounding a bit like Mourinho here, but I think our players are a bit nice. They're a bit quiet. You know, there aren't really many players in the squad where you would say, you know, they're arrogant or kind of brash or in your face or anything like that. You know, you visibly see their heads drop in games when something goes against them. So I think a lot of the kind of motivation or the uh, encouragement comes from it comes externally. You know, when they're at their best, 
collectively they were all performing to a very high level with a manager who was very supportive of them and they'd come through together and that's slowly fallen to pieces you know we've known for a while that that needed breaking up and starting again and I think we're probably we probably need to break up the rest of it and I think that's probably where we are in terms of your comments on Nuno I, I agree entirely I think he's had a very difficult situation you know very difficult situation that he's had to deal with I think he's carried he's always carried himself with dignity I I respect him I don't necessarily think he was the right choice for the job and I think he's he's already looking like he's in a position where he's probably a caretaker um, until I mean I think until Poch gets sacked by PSG that's what worries me is that if if you're thinking that and I'm thinking that he's somewhat of a caretaker and I would assume that Gareth might I, well Gareth will speak for himself in a minute but if we're both assuming that Milo then I just wonder whether the players look at him yeah. and think well, we'll do enough to get th- we'll do enough to be okay but we're not going to push any harder under this bloke because we don't really know what's happening I hope that's not the case. I mean, the two-year contract doesn't help with that kind of stuff. I know that's quite standard in Italy. And, um, you know, that's the kind of model the club are trying to follow. But it doesn't really, you know, seventh, seventh or eighth choice to manager coming in and getting a two-year contract doesn't really fill them full of authority, does it? You know, we've got a dressing room there who have underperformed for, you know, two years now. Two years now that have, you know, there's very few high points in that in the last two years from that from that dressing room. And I think that's one of the things that puzzled me today because, yeah, I think a lot of the kind of new players or the younger players in the squad have actually performed quite well. Skip was excellent on Wednesday. Romero, I think, has done very well in the last few games. Him not oh, Brian starting. Hill. Yeah, Hill. I was going to say Hill was excellent on on Wednesday, and has been a real high point. And I, I and I, I do wonder whether we're reaching that kind of crunch point, a bit like we were saying before, where Pochettino had with Adebayor and Kabul uh, and um, and, and others. Yeah. But the problem is, is that I'm not sure that Nuno's got enough authority within the that's club the to key. be able to do that. That's the key, and that's the problem that I see that is far greater than the first half at the Emirates today. I mean, it really is because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a problem that uh, just, it's pervasive and it, it won't end yeah. when this game ends. Well, this game has ended, but the problem still exists. If he was on a four-year contract and if he'd been able to bring in all of his coaching staff, because again, we wouldn't let any of the coaches coming in this summer bring in the full amount of coaches they want. If they had the setup that they wanted and it looked like they were here for the long haul, then they've got the authority to do it. But I just I think we're, we're we're cutting them off at the knees before they've even started. Yeah, I mean, for me, I made this note during the game. It looked like it was just ten blokes in a white shirt. That was the problem. There was no cohesion between them. They didn't feel like there was any any unity. So the problems definitely stem far deeper than the manager. I, I say I've, I've got some real sympathy for him, as I think we've you know we've all got that. A yeah, he wasn't the first choice, but the circumstances that he's come into. So he's coming into a situation where there's just a game every midweek. So his midweeks are completely mm-hmm. blocked. And we, we will talk about the victory over Wolves, but that means that we now play midweek in October against Burnley, and potentially if we get through in that one that means that the only other free week before Christmas is is taken up with a League Cup tie before Christmas so when can he get his ideas across to the squad properly so I think whoever came in was going to have the same problem so the situation almost needs a very reactive manager who's going to be able to get through from game to game to game and dare I say the word be very very pragmatic in the way that they do it that's the way that you do it you're not going to get a project manager in these circumstances coming in and excelling at least not 
straight away anyway so this is going to be this is going to be a very painful um part of the season and a very painful moment as we've known it was going to be i mean the other thing that i noted as well and you asked about starting 11s earlier but if you look at our starting 11 there were no new players in that 11 at all yeah. that was the team that well it wasn't the exact team from last year because tang angle wasn't playing right back but none of the new ones including skip who'd come back from loma there so you've got a performance from a team playing very much like they did for most of last season yeah yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and I, I just again, I, I think that we, we can't, we, we are coming to a point where changes do have to be made in that first eleven, and some uncomfortable decisions have to be, uh, and some uncomfortable conclusions have to be arrived at. Uh, and I agree with you, Milo. It's a case of whether he is going to have the authority to do that. Let's let's assume he has the authority, just for the sake of conversation. Who were the big losers? today in the sense of players that immediately for you are going to be riding the pine for a little bit if you'll pardon that slight Americanism um, it, it so as you know there's some fresh blood and maybe a fresh approach coming into the side I th- well I mean, firstly we've still got to work out what our best centre-half partnership was and this was a problem right the way throughout last year that individually none of the central defenders we've got are bad players it's just getting them into a combination that works well so Dyron Sanchez worked well at the start of the season so we've got to work out how Romero fits into that. But for me, the big problem, and it really stood out like a sore thumb today, was was Delhi. I, I just can't see how there is a role for him in the team in the way that we play. I, I think the game has moved on so much tactically in the last four years that the last few weeks have really shown that up through, uh, I say, not really through any fault of his own. But if you look at the way that Conor Gallagher played and dominated the midfield for Crystal Palace against us, and you look at the way that Emil Smith Rowe did today, who who normally play the same position as him and are in the team to do the same things as him, it feels like the only way you can get Deli Ali into a team is to play him off a striker, which then impacts the way that you've set, set the rest of your team up and how you get Sonny into that team, how you get Ndombele into that team. So for me, if we continue with a 4-3-3 system, um, it's very difficult to see how Delhi goes in there and will look anything like the player that we want and we have seen in the past. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Delhi was quite good within the role he was being given by Nuno early in the season. So if we if we forget Delhi of, of of old and just twenty twenty one twenty two Delhi is uh, an eager runner who will career around for ninety minutes, snapping at everyone and cover the distance box to box. But primarily, he's a disruptor. Within that, I think he did that. He was performing that role quite well, but he didn't today. He was way off that. He wasn't. He wasn't um, covering a lot of ground. He wasn't snapping at people. The game was passing him by. But I agree that he's he's one of the big losers in that. You know, and again, you know, the formation you're saying there, where he's playing off a striker, that's not a formation that Nuno's ever played. Can I ask you how a midfield of Hill, Skip, and Lacelso makes you feel? How would you be happy seeing that on Sunday against Aston Villa? I mean, I think there's as many question marks about Lacelso as there is anyone else, and um, and that's not where Nuno's played him. So the only time he's played him in central midfield, yeah, midfield has been uh, the two games against Passos. I mean, he's only started one game in the Premier League, which was last week against uh, Chelsea, and his appearances uh, from the bench have all been in the front three. It appears to me that's where Nuno thinks he should play. So let me go one more for you. Um, mm. Would you then consider a forward line of La Celso, Sun and Hill or La Celso, Sun and Mora? What, and drop, dropping and Harry drop Kane. Harry. Yeah. Would you um, consider it if you saw that on Sunday? I mean, because Harry, to me, is certainly uh, 
he's a conundrum. I, I, so no, I wouldn't be dropping Harry. I think uh, I thought he he played quite well against Wolves, and he had two chances today that if he was on form, he would be putting away. So I, I, I was more worried against Palace when he didn't have a, a touch in Palace's box than I was by him today getting chances and, and, and putting them millimetres wide. If we're going to get anything from this season, then we have to get Harry Kane playing and playing well. So I would persevere and stick through that. But I wouldn't be. What I would be doing is giving him Thursday night off because he need he he needs a break. So the original question you're asking was about kind of who's the beneficiaries from today's game. So I think Skip certainly um, has become a, a starter now. I think. I think Romero has become a starter now. I think Emerson, I think Royale has become a starter now. I don't think we're going to see Jaffet at right back again in a hurry. Uh, certainly not in the league. I think Brian has done himself a lot of a lot of favours over the last you know couple of weeks. I think he's looked good all season. A lot of our players look like they're carrying a lot of baggage, and those players don't look like they're carrying baggage. And I think we probably need that freshness from them in order and hope that the other players pick up on that and respond to it. Yeah, someone needs to take the well, the game or the or the season by the scruff of the neck now. So you you well, we've been waiting for Lascelles to do it for nearly two and a half years now, and it's not quite happened. And and Dombele remains the enigma, and he he'll, he'll do it once, and then he'll get injured after sixty minutes, and he'll, he'll he'll go off. So I suppose that leaves it to to Brian Hill, doesn't it, to to try and stake his claim for a start starting place. I mean, I th- I think next week. I would, although it's tempting to be quite radical with the with the lineup. I don't think I'd make too many changes. I think I'd go for a midfield three of, of Skip, Hoiberg, and and Dombele, and then I'd play mm-hmm. Lucas Kane and Son as a front three. Um, you know, unless unless Brian Hill comes in and scores a couple of goals or on Thursday night, in which case you might not be able to not pick him. But other than that, I I think probably the the answer is to be calm and not to totally yeah. throw your toys out the. The pram. With with Romero and Royale coming into defence. Oh, that's what I've got as my yeah. I think that's probably right. You know, when you're talking about Lacelso, for me, um, I would be looking at Lacelso and Underbelle as rotation options. So play them in the same position, and when one of them tires after sixty minutes, bring the other one on and uh, play one of them midweek. One of the other ones at the weekend, and it's down to the two of them as to who stakes a claim to be playing the big games. You know, they're both talented players. What Lo Celso is doing for Argentina, we could really do with right now. But it's down to him to show it in a Spurs shirt. You know, he's had some good moments, but not not enough. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've come to the conclusion, sadly, that, uh, you know, I think we're going to lose Eric Dyer for a little bit anyway, because it does look like he's carrying an injury. He had some heavy strapping, as you said, that was sort of, mm. um, sort of secluded from sight. Some, I, think, I think it was you who posted a photo that yeah. showed the padding, but it wasn't very obvious when you're watching the game. It wasn't to me it, anyway. Yeah, um, so evidently it, was, evidently it was consistent with um, recovering from the dead leg, which we know he had um two weeks ago yeah well he had a visible knee strap last week against Chelsea yeah Yeah. so 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 hopefully we don't need to play him against um against um, Moura midweek and he's okay for next weekend I mean the one thing I would like to see I I, I've been a bit um disappointed with the the way he's chopped and changed with the defense so I didn't like Sanchez playing on the left of um of the central defensive pairing on uh, against Wolves because he's not very good in that position and I think with uh, with Rodon, Sanchez, um, Dyer, and, and and Romero, we've got three decent options there. And I think he's got to decide what his first choice is, which for me would be Dyer and Romero, and then play Sanchez and uh, and Rodon together midweek. I, I think we're getting to the stage now where 
our league form is sufficient that we're going to have to have two sides now and, and put uh, have a side for the cups in midweek and a side for the league uh, the for the league in the weekend and prioritize the league. I think so, and I think we should also. I mean, let's let's just get into this topic as well. That's been that will be coming up on message boards and uh, social media, and has been actually since the final whistle. Um, you know, knees are flying. As, as they would after a result like today in the first half. I, I don't dispute that there, you know, there is a lot of frustration and anger. And, you know, again, that first half was completely and utterly deserving of it. And I think, you know, you wouldn't be a Tottenham Hotspur supporter if you weren't really utterly pissed off at what you saw for that first 45 minutes. But let's also correct the narrative that, you know, now we turn around and just sack the manager. Uh, it's, you know, number one, even if you wanted to, it's just not that easy, is it, chaps? Because we have a director of football. Director of football chose that manager. So I think people need to understand that, yes, <laughs> Nuno got it wrong today. He's held his hands up. But it's not as simple as just cleaning the manager out. I haven't heard one credible suggestion as to who could come in, let alone one credible suggestion as to who could come in and work with Paratici. And I think everyone has to recognise that is the situation we have. We have a director of football that whoever comes in is going to have to work with. If you want to make changes like that, six, seven games into the season, you're cleaning, you're cleaning the, you're cleaning the whole sideboard. You're cleaning it all off, getting rid of the director of football and everything. That's just not going to happen, is it? It's ridiculous to assume that. I, th- you know, I think, I think you're right to bring it up because you're absolutely right. There will be Nuno out trending on Twitter and people on forums mm-hmm. will be, be saying similar things. But yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the relative it is actually perhaps to contradict what you said there, because you've got a director of football, who the head coach is becomes of less significance because it's the director of football that's in, involved in the long-term vision and strategy of the group. But yeah, no, absolutely. Getting, there just isn't enough of a sample size at the moment for us to be able to draw any any sensible conclusions as to where we might be going with Nuno. Look, I mean, Occam's razor principle tells me that this isn't the bigger the bloke who takes us to the promised land um again Mm -hmm. and that in at least a couple of years time there'll be someone else sitting in the in the dugout but yeah (laughs) the reality of it is who do you get in is any better it's exactly the same situation we had there's no one who's suddenly available now who wasn't available in the summer um it would be it would be a move of panic and of chaos unless there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know so if he's genuinely players aren't buying into his aren't buying into him um which is only things we can speculate and there's actually there's no evidence to suggest that that's no. the case is there so no. i I, th- I think for me it's you know it's it's a it's a non-argument but let's let's not overrule yeah. the possibility that yeah this this isn't gonna this isn't gonna work out the way that we'd hope it would do yeah i mean i don't expect him to be here next season but i think the most likely time for him to go is next summer um you know if you think about it in terms of replacements um you're entirely right about you know kind of who's available we weren't prepared to pay people out of contracts this summer so you know potter for instance who was being linked to we weren't prepared to pay Brighton to get Potter out of his contract. Similarly with Ten Hag and you know others as well. The the managers we were linked with were almost exclusively out of work. So that I, I doubt that's changed since then. Yeah, and I think I mean another uh, string to this bow of conversation is: uh, Do we think that? Uh, well, it's a two part question for you. Do we think that Paratici and Hitchin, or Paratici in particular, are getting a bit of a free pass right now for what's going on, given that they are, as you said, Gareth, head of recruitment? Do we also think that perhaps? Paratici would be carrying some of the can for the man at the top, who basically, once again, has had a net spend of, uh, I, I, I don't know the exact figure, but it's not very much. We really haven't spent any money. And uh, is everyone going to just turn around at the end of the day and say, look, 
I would have liked to have got this player. I would have liked to have got that player, but I wasn't allowed. So, I mean, I think, I mean, Levy was quite open about this at the end of last season in that COVID and stadium closures had hit our finances hard. Um, you know, the reality of the system, with uh, the, the situation, whether you like it or not, is that we're a club that um, only spends income that we generate. Um, so it's hit us harder than a lot of our competitors um, not having a full stadium. And it's particularly hard for us in that we'd only just opened a new stadium that was meant to be financing us, you know, pushing up, stepping up a level. And, you know, the income from the stadium is huge. And, you know, <laughs> And funny enough, you know, as we were saying at, at the very beginning, you know, if you look at the, the fight last night, that would have brought in a fair bit of money for us. It, I, I hate the phrase Spursy, but the kind of the way <laughs> the way this has all happened is is very Spursy. And uh, so I, I have a, a certain amount of sympathy there. And I think actually, you know, in terms of um, the players that Paratici brought in, I, I quite like most of our summer signings. There's, 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 I can't think of any there. You know, I've, I've been a bit, a bit critical of um, Galini, but as a second choice keeper, I'm, I'm pretty happy with him. Um, so yeah, most of those, most of the signings in the summer, I, 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 I think look like decent players. It was interesting seeing Tommy play for Arsenal um, today. I thought he was, he was excellent. Um, but you know, Jaffet's form early season meant that that was a transfer we didn't need to do. Um, so yeah, from that point of view, not too bothered. I've always been a little concerned about the managers we were linked with under him. And I think that's my kind of bigger concern. So, I mean, obviously Gattuso was a huge black mark against him. Nuno, I had question marks about the appointment in terms of how his Wolves side played and uh, kind of the end time there, you know, but always liked him as a, as a man, uh, you know, like him, you know, personally, but had question marks about his football. And obviously there are question marks around the comments that Fonseca well, originally made a couple of months ago, a month or so ago, and then surfaced again recently around how he was um, uh, due to be appointed, everything was agreed, and then Paratici um, wanted a more def- defensively-minded uh, manager. I've got question marks about, um, you know, how how that fits with um, the club's, I'm doing heavy quotation marks here, mm-hmm. uh, DNA, and but but more importantly, how how long the fans are going to be prepared to stomach that. You know, we we, wow. we thought about Mourinho this... last year that if he was in, you know, if the fans were in the stadium, he wouldn't have lasted as long as he did. And people are, you know, unhappy with Nuno already. And if that's the direction, you know, if we are going an Italian direction under Paratici, I think that's a bad fit with our fans. And our fans aren't going to be happy with that, no matter how good the players are. If he's appointing managers who are going to be defensively minded, it feels a bad fit. I think that there's so much muddled thinking going on at the club. And we've spoken about how the how the team that was put out today was really incongruous with the tactics that were adopted. I think that, yeah, Milo's just touched on the fact that the the managers that Paratici was looking at seemed to be in complete contrast to the DNA statement that Levy was made. And then the other thing is that Nuno's come in and I says what Nuno's been famed for and what he's done well is he makes an impact at the clubs he goes in and you quite quickly so he works with what he's got and then it tends to tail off once you get into the second or third season what we've done in the summer is we've bought players who are young players who are going to take time to adapt and get better so you've got there's something not quite right about that dynamic either so I think that the another question I want to ask you both the final whistle goes the stadium is absolutely rocking full of those wankers screaming and hooping, uh, whooping and hollering uh, like you know, they've won the cup final. And as I said to you, I would have been doing the same had we done to them what they did to us today. Do we think that there is a moment 
where Daniel Levy is going to look and say, okay, even though January is not a time when we traditionally spend money, I need to do something here. And given the fact the stadium is up and running, and given the fact we do have events, and given the fact we have got NFL stuff coming, and given the fact we have just had this massive fight, and there is income, I'm going to go to Grandpa Joe, and I'm going to say, hey, we need to speculate a little bit here. It's not a gamble. This money is coming in. Do we think that a result like, and a performance like today, will stimulate that sort of reaction from the very top? Or am I just living in a fantasy land. I get the feeling that Daniel Levy's analysis of football is quite superficial, actually. And I think he'll see this defeat coupled with defeats at, at Palace and Chelsea. Um, and he'll be worried. Look, we've lost three Premier League games in a row. Um, that happened last season. The last time we lost four games in Premier League games in a row was back in 2004. So just to put that in context, how significant that Villa game becomes next week for us um, which would be at home and you could imagine the the atmosphere and the reaction there'll be in the crowd should we go behind and, and god forbid should we lose the game yeah at least we'd have a lot of space at the bar <laughs> yeah, yeah no absolutely we're definitely well, i think we think we may well end up having that i don't know what the answer is with with players I, I think it's a squad that needs to be shared but equally i think there are players in there that will develop and will get better over time under the right coaching and mm. under the right management but i i, I think for, as far as daniel Levy is concerned fourth is the benchmark so no what is there mm. anything under fourth for him is a failure so the moment yeah. that he looks at a league table on a monday morning and he thinks we're in serious danger here of not getting in the top four is when he will start getting very, very nervous. And yeah. perhaps United losing at the weekend, um, you can you can look at the gap and say well, it's maybe not too much. And, you know, Brighton could go top if they win tomorrow. So the league table isn't something that we can focus too much on mm. at the moment. But I think once you get around to that transfer window, if we're putting in performances and getting results like we've got now, then something dramatic will happen. And it's whether he mm. backs the manager and brings in players or whether he effectively backs the players and thinks they're good enough, but the coach isn't good enough. I think we're probably past the point where he backs the players, aren't we? Certainly the older ones. Um, you know, in terms of kind of going back to Nuno again briefly, you know, the, the stories are that Paratici had to convince Levy that um, Nuno was the right appointment for him, showing him videos clubs prior to Wolves. So that doesn't suggest that he was fully sold on the idea. So I don't think he's he's really invested in, you know, as we've already touched on, he's got a short contract. Mm. January's a tough window to do, to do business. I, I must admit, I, I, I kind of thought during the game that... I could see us going back in, going going to the market in January and trying to sign players, and we have done it effectively before. If you think about Redknapp's first season when we uh, brought in Palacios and um, Defoe and Keane came back, Defoe and Keane, yeah. So that was a, so we have done it before. We have got a history of doing that. So yeah, I think that's a possibility. I don't think Uncle Joe's going to be dipping into his hand into his pocket. We didn't spend all of the money that we got in the summer from uh, the US kind of investment um, what have you so there's a little bit left there um, you know we haven't spent a huge amount over the last few years so I'm, you know I think I think there's I think there's some money left there and I think we'd be looking to structure deals on the point where it was loans to buys and everything pushed off into the far and distant future you know that's how we do business I mean and the big question becomes then if we do that are we going to be entertaining the thoughts of uh, a Nuno who apparently wanted Triore are we gonna uh, you know or are we not because again 
uh, Milo, as you said, uh, if he is as temporary as we all assume he might be, and if he is a custodian of the chair for only a season, you know, and my other question then is, are we saying that Daniel would be prepared to sack off Paratici given the right uh, circumstances, given the right person coming in? I don't I don't think you can sack off the director of football. I mean, it'd be a huge failure on his part if he was you know, brought in Paratici and 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 all that upheaval, and then um, been you know I think Paratici's got to be there at least um, kind of three or four years in order to 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 be considered a success. So I think it would be a huge failure on his part if he didn't. You know, on Traore, um, we weren't linked to him until very late in the window. I don't think he was one of our primary targets. I think he only really emerged after the strikers we were being linked with uh, fell away and and then they kind of rejigged it and started thinking about maybe Sun could be the second choice striker and we could bring someone else in so I'm not sure how committed uh, Nuno is to that and and Troy spent a fair amount of time of last season on the bench I think he was on the bench today as well for Wolves I'm not sure he's played in the last couple of games uh, so I'm not I'm not that convinced that um it was that big a deal for Nuno I think it just that you know maybe he fancied a move and um we, you know our primary targets weren't there yeah. And it, it kind of made sense. I don't know, but yeah, I could see us going back into the market in January. There's a there's a few players who have been linked with or out of, out of contract in the summer, so maybe you can then do you know, loan them for the second half of the season and and agree a pre contract for the summer or something like that, or agree a a, a, a cut price deal in January and, and take them then. You know, it's the kind of thing we've done before. I wouldn't be surprised. That's meant to be Paratici's kind of modus operandi, isn't it? Yeah, I was, I was just going to say. I think with a director of football, like any high level executive, that you probably need to judge them months if not years after they've actually gone until you can see the legacy that they've left behind so I, I think he's got to be that's got to be the long term um, you know unless he gets poached or or, or, or resigns but um, or unless we decide to go potch again and that's something else that we've discussed I don't want to get into that discussion right now but that's essentially mm. I think what sparked my question in the first place yeah. was some off pod discussion that it doesn't fit it doesn't feel a good fit if potch was coming back it doesn't feel like a good fit and it is speculation so I suppose Okay, so one final question for you. What I'm interested in is this. Would you be happier to hear that Nuno was calm and, um, shall we say, studied and kept everyone behind in the dressing room after the game for uh, for a half an hour, breaking the game apart in a, in, a, in a sort of methodical but authoritative sort of fashion, saying we've got work to do, let's not panic, we must work together, we're going to make it. Or would you be happier to hear that there may have been an explosion in the dressing room, that maybe some of the seniors were like, hey, this is fucking terrible, what's going on? And that Nuno's like, hey, fuck you, you needed to show up as well. And that there was somewhat of a, of a Barney rubble, which would make you happier to hear which do you think would be a more beneficial approach for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club at this very important juncture of the season the time to analyze a game is tomorrow so uh, there's no point going through the game afterwards I kind of hope that the players were tearing strips off each other yeah I mean look, my, my concern is they look like a very sad group when they walked and they trudged off the pitch and I, th- I think there's a happy medium you know you want to have I'm, I'm you, ripping this quote off from another podcast but you've got to have fire in your belly but your head in the freezer and they need to be thinking clearly 
about they need to be analyzing this and looking at it very calmly and rationally um but also yeah there needs to be some anger there needs to be some anger about the results and the way that things have panned out in the last four or five weeks yeah. if there is if this, this then becomes an acceptance that yeah it's it's fine to lose three nil at palace because we had players on quarantine it's fine to lose to chelsea because they're a good team and it's fine to lose to arsenal because the manager got the tactics wrong and it's fine to only get a draw in rent because they're actually quite a good team it, you know it doesn't matter if we only draw at home to villa next week once that starts becoming acceptable that's when you've got real deep-rooted problems that you need to try and iron out and and i agree with all of that and again in in, in closing off this section as we're about to you know i have sympathy for nuno because it's a, an impossible job and we've just spent the better part of an hour trying to discuss like what we need to do and what could be done and uh, what should be done and what shouldn't be done and and i think in many ways we've found it next to impossible to identify any one clear route um that is the job he's paid to do and uh, i do expect him to do it better um but he does have my sympathy uh, however yes you're absolutely right gareth to to whitewash this in any way would be uh i think disrespectful uh to the club and disrespectful to us so i am gonna round off by asking you <laughs> having said that <laughs> ludicrously say i'm not even going to go one positive one negative i think we know what the negatives are i mean i think that they're abundant and i think we just spent the better part of time talking can you find a positive? Um, only positive for me is that Arsenal will do as they usually do and they'll exist in a state of hubris after this and then they'll probably only end up winning two of their next seven games and then they'll be in crisis again. I think most of the players who came on played quite well, although admittedly, you know, admittedly Arsenal were sitting back a lot then, so they, it was a lot easier for them. Yeah, and I think the one positive I could find today was in the fact we've surely established that Oliver Skip now does deserve his first team place, even if that is at the expense of Hoybier, for, uh, if that's the decision yeah. that has to be made, and that Brian Hill has uh, hopefully forced his way into getting a, a shout and a shot uh, in the first team shirt uh, starting lineup for the next few games at, at the very least. I've got one other, actually. I, I think um, Nuno's uh, honesty after the game, I think, was good. I think um, his diagnosis of what went wrong was good. And the fact that he held his hands up, that part of that problem was his. And also the fact that he didn't throw the players under under the bus. We, we, we've, we've touched on how they're not maybe uh, the strongest bunch. But I think part of the damage from that was um, them being called out and criticised in public in, in, in the past. And I don't think that's healthy and I don't think that's the way to build uh, team spirit. And so I think credit to Nuno, it would have been easy for him to try and blame other people for today and holding his hands up and uh, accepting his share of the blame, I think, is uh, and refusing to uh, criticise players in public. I think he deserves a lot of credit for. Uh, I think that's very true. And let's let's finish on that point. We will now take a moment to look back at what happened earlier in the week at Wolverhampton Wanderers in the in the League Cup. Um, it was a 2-2 draw, which we ended up winning uh, on penalties. Games in that stage of the tournament go straight to penalties if they're level after 90 minutes. Uh, we did go ahead very comfortably um, and looked like we could be actually cruising on to smashing someone, at, uh, in fairness. I didn't think it would have been... Uh, a you know, a distortion if we'd gone in 4 0 up at half time. We were really, really tremendous. Instead, we went in 2 1 up at half time with the game on an, uh, you know, heading back in, in towards towards Wolves' hand. Uh, a little bit of analysis there, guys. Um, what have you got for us? I, I didn't see the game. It wasn't on TV in the UK. I was listening to it on the radio, which felt like a very old school thing to do. Um, but really, for the first 35 minutes, it sounded like we were excellent and we really hit 
some flow. Um, it sounds like all the good things about the about the about the attacking elements of the team gelled together, and we were two 0 up. Um, it just made me really angry that our team is so fickle at the moment that conceding a goal before half time, you know, seemingly against the run of play, affected it. And look, it went to penalties, and we won on penalties. And look, let's take some let's take some joy out of winning a winning a cup tie on penalties. But if that had been a league match and we'd been pegged back by by Wolves having been 2-0 up, we'd be very disappointed about it. But look, we, we live to live another that we live another day. I think the draw no one wants to go to Burnley on a Wednesday night in the end of October, but actually I would imagine they won't take the game too seriously and all of a sudden you then find yourself hopefully in the last eight of a competition, which as we know we're desperate to win a desperate to win a trophy. So look on the whole you got to, you gotta see it as a positive. We got something out of it and there were some really good performances, but it really highlighted some of the deep flaws in the team as well. Classic Spurs is if Ruddy had an excellent game. You think he had um key, you know, key saves to uh, from from Hill, from Undam Bele, he had the, the save from Kane, the header at point blank range, didn't he? It was, uh, so um, you're quite right, Steph. We could have easily gone in quite a few up at half time. You know, two two. Undam Bele had a hand in three goals. Unfortunately, two of them were at the other end. And um, but I, I thought, you know, coming into this game, the game today, I, I, I was taking the positives from it because. Um, the the two goals we conceded against Wolves and two of the three we conceded against Chelsea were from individual errors. And I was kind of hoping that that's the kind of thing we could work on and iron out. And actually the positives from it were that we were playing a lot better going forwards. It was a better performance, I think, than the scoreline suggests because the, the goals we conceded were from errors. And on Thursday night, we play our second proletariat Champions League group game against Mora, White Hart Lane. Nogamenta Esola Mora, commonly referred to as NS Mora or simply Mora, is a Slovenian football team, despite my somewhat <laughs> Latin accented pronunciation of the name, uh, playing in the town of Muska Sabota. Uh, they were founded in 2012, all those years ago. Uh, so more, more history than Man City then. <laughs> exactly. And they currently play in the Slovenian Prva Liga, which is the top tier of Slovenian football. The club's home ground is the Fazanarija. My word, I'm sure I've got that wrong. Stadium with a capacity of 3,782 seats. Uh, they lost 2-0 at home to Vitesse in their opening group game. I'm not going to read that line. <laughs> the line actually that I'm not going to read you says in our script this is probably our easiest game in the group but I'm not going to read it okay because that's just not going to happen and uh, yes as <laughs> as Milo put here uh, I hope that Lucas Mora starts to give the commentators a hard time Mora 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 um, okay is this where the healing begins before Aston Villa on Sunday chaps I think it's only going to create some very superficial joy isn't it if we win it everyone's expecting us to to win probably fairly comfortably. Wait, but if, where's if you your Buddhist spirit? Is there anything other than superficial momentary joy? That's what life is, in the moments of joy, man. Take them where you can. That's that's the way, right? Sorry, I just cut you off, but I had to say it. <laughs> that's, that's what 30 years living in North California does for you, Steph. <laughs> More than that, mate. More than that. And, uh, and, and a point duly taken. Um, yeah, no, look, all, the, all, all we can do is win and win comfortably. Um, good chance there's going to be seven or eight changes from the team that played today and probably another seven or eight changes from the, from the team that will play next Sunday. I think that if we do anything other than win, then it's going to start creating the headlines and the narrative about there being big problems at the club. More problems ahead, things like that. Is that 
You've, you've, you've got it. <laughs> I, I think it's a no-win game, isn't it? You don't get any credit for a win on this one, and if um, if it's a draw or a loss, then um, it just ramps up the pressure. Well, guys, I'd like to come in with a slightly uh, Californian uh, attitude towards this and say I think it's a time of healing. I think the guys can get together and really like pull it together, or a great game of soccer, and I think that we can, you know, heal each other with some goals here and just really look forward to uh, enjoying a nice night out at the best stadium in, in world soccer right now so i see this as a chance to heal and uh, and, and and a chance to win back some favor with our fans there we are those are the two contrast the three contrasting <laughs> opinions <laughs> everyone's okay everyone's just looked at me like i am a complete wanker i mean not any not much more than they usually look at me like i'm a complete wanker but definitely with a slight sort of you're going california smug wanker now you wanker wanker look but uh anyway <laughs> Yes, an explosion <sighs> of uh, wankery there. <laughs> I hope that very, very few of the players who are due to start next Sunday start on Thursday. Um, I mean, there's some good players uh, on the fringe of the side who deserve a chance. Uh, Mark and Day has been playing fantastically for the under-23s. It'd be nice if he gets some minutes. Um, I, I don't have a problem with some of the uh, more senior players being on the bench and being brought on if if needed. But and I, I am aware that you know we've got a bad history of taking European games against smaller opponents uh, for granted and then turning in really turgid performances. I think we're. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all right at home. I think all this, all the stats show that definitely happens away from home. I think at home we'll be, we'll be all right. Guys, we are so shaken, aren't we? We are a bit shaken up here right now. <laughs> okay, next Sunday at White Hart Lane, uh, it's the big one. It's, it's, it's the biggest moment I think uh, in, in, in four. A couple of years, uh, you know. Yeah, I know we're playing Aston Villa at home. That's that's one thing. What it actually is is the long-awaited. The game is about glory. Live human get-together where we will actually look at each other in the face across pints in the stadium, and 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 sort of officially seal um, the, this this pod. We will we will all finally be meeting each other in person uh, for the first time in in this COVID era, which I think uh, is. I mean. I don't want to say whatever happens on Sunday, you know, it will be worth it just for that. Although I sort of genuinely feel that in a way. It is one of those rare moments where you hope that everything goes to plan and that we smash Villa. Uh, but whatever happens, uh, guys, I am absolutely ragingly excited to, to know that we're going to be in the stadium together and meeting up. It's going to be fantastic. I hope it doesn't ruin the pod when you all finally meet me and think, <laughs> fucking hell, what an absolute bell end. I'm not going to, I can't be doing this with him anymore. <laughs> And, and is our most special a special guest Barney going to be in, a, in in attendance as well? He might be. I have to. I have to. Uh, I have to reach out to him. He was he was threatening to do so, but the last I knew, he was playing some shows actually in the US. But he might be back by then, so I will reach out. And if he is, that would just be uh, the uh, it'd be epic, wouldn't it? We'll have we'll have uh, vegan cheese and beer and hope that we smash the villa right. That's uh, the long and the short mm-hmm. of it. I think we've sort of yeah. I was going to say just for the benefit of our listeners, whilst um, we've known each other kind of virtually for years but um none of us have ever met in the flesh and uh kind of the inception of this podcast was kind of all online at um at luton's luton's uh behest we're a product of lockdown aren't we really and it's going to be nice um meeting each other and uh, and saying hello for the first time yeah it's it's been a real journey it's been a a very fast journey in a short amount of time actually and and very involved Mm. and i think i speak for all of us and i say that even something like we've just had now has uh been vitally important uh in in sort of processing these 
troubling times, uh, you know, uh, mm. both on and off the football pitch. I mean, it, it has to be said, that's one of the great things about mm. football and football supporters is that you talk about football sometimes to help you through life, right? I mean, that is the truth as well. Mm. So, yes. Yeah, no, so, sorry, just to just point out that Awesome sadly won't be with us next week because he's got even he would have even further than you to travel um, yes. and of course he's got his new family situation which we're very happy for so he'll be with us in spirit he will be with us in spirit and uh, we will be downing spirits uh, in spirit of him if that makes sense but anyway thanks a lot lads that was a lot of fun Cheers, Cheers, we'll be back next week with a look back at our games against Mura and Villa and also uh, we'll review the the game is about glory get together you can find us on twitter and instagram so give us a follow say hello review us wherever you can praise us whenever you can even in your sleep but just make sure that in that case your phone is connected to something that can speak text your reviews into apple or any other platform that you use and that is positive um but before we go i just want to sneak this in i hope you guys don't mind i was sort of scrabbling around in a little despairing at the final whistle today and uh, i just came across this fantastic quote that has absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever so if you want to tune off you can but i just think it's 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 a brilliant quote and somehow it resonated with me today i am 87 years old i only eat so i can smoke and stay alive the only fear i have is how long consciousness is going to hang on after my body goes i just hope there's nothing like there was before i was born i'm not really into religion they're all macrocosms of the ego when man began to think he was a separate person with a separate soul, it created a violent situation. The void, the concept of nothingness is terrifying to most people on the planet. You can see why I went to this quote after the final whistle. And I get anxiety attacks myself. I know the fear of that void. You have to learn to die before you die. You give up, surrender to the void, to nothingness. Anybody else you've interviewed bring these things up? Hang on, i got to take this call. Hey, brother, that's great, man. Yeah, I'm being interviewed. We're talking about nothing. I've got this guy well steeped in nothing right now. He stopped asking questions. That, my friends, was the mighty Harry Dean Stanton, who, as you gather, is an 87-year-old actor. And somewhere in that prose, it just kind of captured a little bit of what I felt when the whistle went for half-time today. Maybe you feel the same, or maybe this is now on the editing room floor. See you later.